And now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis, we're getting towards the end of 2018, mm. although we do have a program next week. But what are some of the observations and conclusions you've made as the year's gone on about the practice of complementary medicine and herbal medicine? Oh, Jane, so many of the uh, things that have happened during the year have confirmed um, my belief and trust and confidence um, in herbal medicine. but. I think one of the observations this year has been the increasing number of people that are utilising or accessing uh, herbal medicine or natural medicine. Uh, I've been in the profession, as you know, for very many years, but uh, what surprises me increasingly is the, uh, the way in which uh, this system of medicine, complementary medicine, herbal medicine, uh, is now sort of part and parcel of our society and this year in particular uh, I've been more than ever pleasantly surprised to to see the drift of people towards accessing this system of medicine now of course every year I guess has got its highlights but particularly this year uh, as I reflect back on over 40 years of practice um, this year in particular has seen a great deal of um, uh, drift if you like towards this system of medicine I'm happy about that. Um, the thing that's uh, impressed me, always has impressed me, but uh, this year, for what reason, I'm not sure, maybe because it's, I'm, I'm getting towards the end of my professional life, but um, more and more am I impressed with what we could say is the efficacy of herbs. And by efficacy, we mean the workability of herbs in medicine. There seems, Dennis, to be a little bit of opposition mm, growing mm. Um, as far as mainstream health mm, mm. practitioners are concerned as regards complementary yeah. medicine. I've noticed that um, this year in particular. Um, I'm not sure what's driving it, but um, there does seem to be a growing uh, reaction from some in the mainstream healthcare professions against the practices and the uh, principles and even indeed the products used in, in complementary medicine. I was reading only recently of the concern that some have within pharmacy circles as to the presence of homeopathic medicines on pharmacy shelves and the way in which uh, there is some uh, concern that complementary medicines may not be um, living up to their expectations. Um, that worries me. Uh, I tend to think that um, a lot of what's behind this is associated with what I said at the beginning of this program, that the population is now accessing uh, medicine at many levels. You have heard me say on numerous occasions, Jane, that I am a great supporter of what I refer to as mainstream medicine. I treasure um, the services of my general practitioner and the specialists that I see, but I have also said on numerous occasions on this program that I believe that no one system of medicine has all the answers to the human condition. Uh, Forty years ago, for instance, uh, there were very few practitioners practicing acupuncture. Now, acupuncture is part of mainstream medicine with many medical practitioners having embraced it and embodying it in their professional practice. Um, so whether we like it or not, any reaction against what I call complementary medicine 
in my opinion, is not going to get very far. What we have to do, both within our profession and those on the outside looking at our profession, what we have to do is to make sure that behind the practice of complementary medicine is adequate professional education. And I would like to think that in my career I've contributed towards that. Um, we also have to develop, as we are developing, a complementary medications which will stand up to the requirements of professional medicine and pharmacy. And I'm the first to uh, say that, in my opinion, some uh, complementary medicines, if we want to call them that, uh, may be overstated and claims made for them which, uh, in my opinion, could be questionable. That probably is the reason why some in the mainstream uh, are raising their eyebrows and, and looking for greater control or greater oversight of what we do. Um, that's okay. I think that's a reaction that, that had to come. And I used to say to my students that the wheel would turn the full circle, that the uh, way in which complementary medicine, particularly herbal medicine, was embraced uh, years ago when I started lecturing. Uh, and it was a heyday. It was an, a renaissance. And I used to say to my students, look, don't get too cocky. Uh, things are good at present but the wheel will turn the full circle. And just as herbal medicine particularly has in the past been maligned and, and looked at simplistically, and in, in some countries, in fact, uh, forbidden to be practised, in the United States, for instance, uh, just as that happened then, it, it could come to that again. But Australia's a different place today than it was 40 years ago, and it's difficult to see any significant attempt to squash, to hinder to lessen the development of this remarkable component of, of, of modern healthcare. With reference to this uh, topic that continually asserts itself, Jane, the, the topic of, of homeopathic medicines, um, it saddens me to think that homeopathic medicine, uh, which is associated with the practice of homeopathy, is now looked at so cynically uh, by some in the medical profession and certainly some in the pharmacy world. Uh, it saddens me because homeopathic medicine is practised around the world more by medical practitioners than it is by alternative medical practitioners. And in countries like France and Switzerland and Germany and even in the United Kingdom, there are faculties of homeopathic medicine which graduate medical practitioners to practise homeopathy. The work of Samuel Hahnemann, who was the founder of homeopathy, is still taught. And homeopathic medicines, when... Uh, when they're produced correctly and when they're prescribed according to the original Hanumanian principles are very, very efficacious indeed. I think the problem with homeopathy, and I say this to my dear pharmacy colleagues, is that a lot of what purports to be home homeopathy and homeopathic preparations, in fact, in my opinion, aren't. Mm -hmm. That if you, uh, if you were to read, for instance, uh, Anthony Campbell's book, The Two Faces of Homeopathy, remarkable work, he was a British medical practitioner who studied homeopathy at the Faculty of Homeopathy, homeopathy in Great Ormond Street, London. He wrote this book to point out um, the two ways in which homeopathy is interpreted, the traditional medical way and then the esoteric way, uh, which is seemingly uh, dominating in, in, in many people's minds. Homeopathy, when practised according to Hahnemann's ideas of like cures like, with preparations that are prescribed to meet 
the patient's totality of symptoms is still a very efficacious preparation. And pharmacies like Nelson's Pharmacy in London, Glasgow Homeopathic Pharmacy, have been around for over 100 years dispensing and supplying the medical profession, particularly the homeopathic side of the medical profession, with homeopathic preparations. So I would say to, to, to many in both medicine and pharmacy, uh, read Campbell's book. Look at homeopathy as it was originally developed and as it is practised professionally around the world and don't see a lot of the negative aspects of homeopathy being typical of homeopathy. Dennis Stewart, we're talking about mm. the place of complementary medicine and, uh, and herbal medicine mm. in particular uh, in our society, mm. and you've, you've talked about why you mm. think it definitely has a place. Yeah. Can you give us some examples from your practice? Okay. I would like to reiterate again what I have frequently said on this program, Jane, that I find that complementary medicine, as its name implies, complements mainstream medicine and in particular addresses many conditions that seemingly don't yield to mainstream medical approaches. And this is where I think our system has a role to play in helping people who have exhausted, and I mean exhausted, all that can be offered to them by, by mainstream medical approaches. And I have seen again this year in my practice more and more patients who have benefited uh, from herbal medicine in particular and frequently whose comment would be um, after so many years of suffering from this for the first time um, I've got relief. Now this doesn't always happen. I would be the last to say that uh, herbal medicine has all the answers to the human condition. That would be nonsense. What I would say is that my experience has demonstrated that in this niche area of dealing with chronic recurring, unmitigated experience of, of some conditions, herbal medicine works well. For instance, a good example would be yesterday in, in my rooms, I saw a lady who had experienced an intractable cough. Now, cough conditions are not easy to manage. Any medical practitioner, I suspect, would say the same because uh, cough conditions can be caused by many causes. But here was an elderly lady whose life was a misery because she had sustained uh, chronic coughing for about 28 years. And this would be coughing all day and coughing most of the night. And you can imagine how debilitating that was. Um, it was a very, very interesting case uh, because not frequently do you get a condition as uh, intractable and with a history like this. Again, drawing on the herbs that I've been uh, used to and herbs that I have prescribed, um, I, uh, I prescribed a mixture of herbs directly from the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. Now, I just want to mention this again. We talk about credibility. We talk about the way in which herbal medicine has a right to be taken seriously in our modern society. The British Herbal Pharmacopoeia was a landmark text written in published in 1983 by the British Herbal Medicine Association, which is an association of doctors, pharmacognosists, herbalists and pharmacists. That text I have been guided by all my professional life, and in that text are a spectrum of remedies that herbalists draw on for addressing cough conditions 
of various forms. But there is one remedy particularly which, is, which I have found over my many years of practice to be extraordinary in its ability to subdue uh, spasmodic, paroxysmal, recurring coughing, and that is the herb sundew. So I put together a mixture for this dear lady, and she has been on it now quite a number of months. And yesterday, I discharged her with the comment that I don't need to see you again. Uh, you just come to the dispensary and pick up your medication when you need it. The condition is not cured, but what this lady now experiences is such great remission from this dreadful cough that even if she has to stay on a cough medication based on herbs like sundew and white whorehound and the great old pharmacy remedy, white cherry bark, even if she has to stay on this essentially till the day she dies, she will get night's sleep without waking coughing. She'll be able to go out and attend social events without being embarrassed by the cough. There is one example, only one example, of where in my practice, which is probably typical of many herbal medicine practices, the use of herbs directly prescribed according to the literature and tradition with correct dosage has had a remarkable effect in one lady's life. I think that in itself surely should be seen as some justification for herbal medicine being taken seriously and for it to be seen as part of our modern treatment systems. Dennis, we have a caller on 49216216. Joe has rung in from Cardiff. Joe, you've got a story about homeopathy. Yes. Well, first of all, Dennis, I, I was a bit reluctant to um, ring. Um, I worked in pharmacy for 30 years. Oh, and, how about um, that? Good one. Yep. Retired now. But yes. um, I just want to... Um, it, it's an encouraging story because I worked alongside a herbalist. Yes. And the story actually concerns me because I actually... Um, when you work in pharmacy, it's always very, very busy of and course. you're rushing and you're turning. Of and course. I found that my knee... Um, started to hurt and then my husband got a, a new truck and I got out of the truck um, to go and visit my brother yes. um, in hospital and it was a high truck so so what happened I really hurt it I twisted it it was and um, I it was just near Christmas and um, I came home and I put just normal sort of heat rubs on and um, and I could hardly walk and I can remember mm. thinking I've got all these people coming for Christmas. Anyway, I spoke to our herbalist mm. and she said, try some Arnica. Uh -huh. and, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. oh, no, before that mm. I had been to a doctor and had yeah. one mm. lot of needles, came, went back a couple of weeks later, another lot of needles, didn't work. He said to me, I believe that your knee could be necrotic. Mm. But before it was Christmas, because it was Christmas time, I, um, it was, they were shutting down and everything. And I remember working with my herbalist one day, because I never used to work with her every day. Yes. And she said to me, Joe, try the Arnica. Anyway, she said, you've got to put it on morning and night. Mm. So I did it. And the thing that I noticed straight away after using probably about three over-the-counter other preparations, which were hot ones and, mm. you know, different heat, deep heat remedies and things like that, nothing worked. But the night I bought this Arnica, I rubbed it in. One of the things I noticed straight away was the stiffness 
had eased a little bit. Mm. Now, I used that cream morning and night for one year mm. and it took it all away. It wasn't game enough to sort of stop. And I had a doctor, because we have a lot of doctors that come into pharmacy sure, and he was sure. an orthopaedic surgeon. Yes. And I mentioned it to him and he said to me, don't tell too many people about that. Oh, that sounds a lovely story. And it's it's great of you to share it with us. It's a great story, but um, what this lady has been telling us about is probably one of the most popular uh, homeopathic topical preparations. Anyone that studies homeopathy will know that homeopathic medicines uh, can be used or taken orally, and homeopathic medicines also can be converted into creams and lotions. By the way, the herb arnica should never be taken orally except in a very, very dilute homeopathic preparation. It is a very toxic substance if it is used in uh, tangible dosages. It should only ever be taken orally in what's called a homeopathic potency. But it is not only useful uh, homeopathically, but topically it's one of the most prominent, well-known, well-proven remedies for for dealing with so many conditions associated with muscles and joints and bruises. So this lady has just in many ways uh, proven what anyone who has worked with homeopathic remedies knows about and if any sceptic wants to test the validity of homeopathic remedies, read up the homeopathic literature on Arnica, both used as an oral medication and Arnica when converted to a topical application. Dennis, um, we had a call from Jan from Warners Bay a little earlier. She's not on the line, Mm -hmm. but she's asking what happens if someone has an allergic reaction to a herbalist's preparation? Okay. The first thing to appreciate is that um, herbal medicines as such uh, are capable of causing allergic reactions if they are wrongly prescribed or if they are dosed incorrectly. Um, there is a belief around that because it is a herb, it is safe per se. That is incorrect. Herbs, in my opinion, are safe remedies when they are prescribed correctly, are used correctly and dosed correctly. But having said that, having said that, occasionally uh, people will react to a herbal medication, a single herbal medication, or to a particular uh, mixture of herbs. And that reaction can sometimes be quite serious. If a a reaction to herbal medicine takes place, it largely depends upon uh, the seriousness of it. For instance, if if it's a skin aggravation, um, it may require just a visit to the the pharmacist uh, to get a topical application, maybe an antihistamine. But any reaction at all, any reaction at all, uh, should be uh, followed up seriously if there are threatening uh, symptoms such as breathing difficulties or any uh, blood pressure problems that should require immediate presentation to a medical practitioner and or um, contacting emergency and seeking uh, medical help via the uh, ambulance um, work Um, so a, a herbal reaction which occasionally can take place and i haven't seen too many of them and never a life threatening one it must be taken seriously, it must, must be followed up, and if there is a concern, the best way of addressing it is to seek medical attention.
And that's a very wise thing too, I'm sure. Now, Laura's rung in on 49216216 from Lambton. Laura, your question's about bunions. Mm. Yeah. Laura, I don't think there is one in our system. A I natural think, remedy. I think you're better off uh, talking to your GP and, and looking at a surgical approach. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not what you want to do. There, there are limitations to what we can do with herbs, Laura. Now, look, yep. you, you talk to your GP. The, 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 the medical surgical approach is probably the way that he would recommend you go. Okay. Thanks for your call, Laura. And Amanda has rung in from Stockton. And uh, Amanda, you'd like to talk about uh, a particular preparation. I just really quickly wanted to say um, that I was really ill with glandular fever about 15 years ago and I was at uni and had three tiny little kids and the doctors could not get me right. They could, they, I had lots and lots of different medications and my mother heard about Dennis Stewart and she got me some Astralagus 8 mm. preparation, I think it was called, mm. and... It was the only thing that fixed me. Yeah. And I very quickly started to feel better because I was so ill mm. and I stayed on it for a while. Mm. And uh, about two years later, I had a relapse, which mm. apparently is quite a common thing. Mm. And so I went straight back on it again and again fixed me up straight away. So I kept a bottle in the cupboard for a really <laughs> long time, even though it's the most foul, disgusting, yeah, horrible tasting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, whatever it is you put in there, it works. <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting what I mean. Sometimes I think when when people hear me talk uh, and so encouragingly and enthusiastically about this famous formula, they think I'm going over the top. Well, maybe. But look, uh, in my professional career, I've made a couple of great discoveries which uh, have helped my practice and certainly helped people. One of my first great discoveries was the discovery of the medical potential of the North American herb Echinacea angustifolia and later on Echinacea purpurea. I began using that as a very young practitioner and very quickly saw the potential of that herb to, uh, to address particularly many kids' problems. Coughs, colds, upper respiratory tract infections, uh, boils, carbuncles. It's a great remedy to deal with that sort of more bacterially oriented condition. Late in my professional life, I was able to discover the astragalosate formula. There's a history of where it came from, but I discovered it uh, in preparation for some lectures that I was to give to a group of students studying with me at uh, uh, Melbourne University in, in Norman College, and I was to lecture on the immune system. And I studied this remedy, which had been developed uh, by Chinese practitioners and was very impressed with it, its logic, its rationale and its history. And so I had the preparation converted into a modern Western liquid form, which even though it tastes pretty bad, is probably not as bad as taking the herbs in their original crude state. The result of, of the lectures, the result of my prescribing and use of it was astonishing. It, it, it just took off and practitioners demanded it and we were able to have uh, litres and litres manufactured in Sydney by a licensed manufacturer and um, it proved itself and the one condition that it proved itself in more than anything 
was in addressing what's called the Epstein-Barr virus, which you've referred to as glandular fever. I'm not aware, there may be, but I'm not aware of there being any remedies in natural medicine, particularly herbal medicine, that can so quickly alter the experience of that condition, so quickly lead to recovery, and so quickly abort the drift to chronic fatigue syndrome, which is frequently a corollary to this. So I, I pride myself on that. It was a great discovery. I'm happy about it, and uh, I'm happy that you got a good result. Many others would say the same. But thank you for ringing in, Amanda. That was lovely. Yes, that was. And it is available fairly of generally course, now. Of course, yes. generally available. Generally available. Astragalus so, Absolutely. And that's a, that is a, a, another thing that a, a lot of people can't understand. You've, you've made all these discoveries and you've got all this knowledge. Why don't you keep it to yourself? You'd be a millionaire. <laughs> well, sad as it might sound, older herbalists... Uh, 50 years ago uh, that I had a bit to do with held that attitude and I vouched that I would never go down that pathway of secrecy. There are no secrets. Uh, it was more a protective device and I'm glad, I'm glad that my knowledge, the preparations that I've discovered and uh, produced are now widespread and are helping many people all over the place and that they're readily available. And Shirley is rung in from Cessnock. Now, you're interested in Arnica, Shirley. Yes. Um, I'm having quite a while. I've had it for a while, but um, with sciatica. Yes. And I was wondering how the Arnica would work on that. Okay. Look, I think it would be worth a, a go, Shirley. You're talking about using Arnica as a topical application, a lotion or a cream? Yes. Okay. Look, um, there are preparations in the marketplace now that are based on arnica and sometimes also accompanied by uh, capsicum, particularly what's called the oleoresin of capsicum. Now, both those preparations, or even arnica on its own, has a reputation of bringing about a reduction to some degree in inflammatory activity and setting up a mild analgesia. It seems to work uh, particularly more where you have uh, acute symptoms but if yours have been there for some time, it would be still worthwhile giving a go. Um, you could easily get it in Cessnock from one of the pharmacies or one of the practitioners up there. Um, I think it would be worthwhile. Uh, how long have you had your sciatica for? Oh, well, it comes and goes, but for a good couple of years. I've, um, when it gets bad, which it is at the moment, yeah. I have acupuncture done. Yeah, good, good, good. And that, that works really well, yeah. but... Um, I'm one of the grey nomads that goes away every winter. Oh, good on you. Take, uh, me, take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think my husband might have something to say about that, but um, where I go, there's no such thing as an acupuncture or anything no, else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would recommend, seriously recommend, uh, go to your pharmacy, ask him for a preparation that contains arnica and the oleo resin of capsicum. Right. Now, you've got some really good pharmacies in Cessnock. That's where I live, so I know they're good pharmacists. Right. Um, so just go and have a yarn with them. I'd take it with you, and I'd be surprised if you didn't get some relief. Oh, good. Dennis, can I ask you another quick one, well, I hope? Well, seeing you from Cessnock, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've been diagnosed with um, bulging discs. Yes. Both thoracic and yeah. lumbar. Yes. 
Yes. And I've been to a specialist, and he said all I, he could do is rest and pain relief. Yes. Um, otherwise, it's surgery, and I don't have a good history with okay. surgery. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell um, you something, Shirley. I know a lot about bulging discs. Um, I have n- I had never had one before in my life until early in this year when I was stricken down with what my good GP uh, interpreted and rightly so as being a bulging disc. I was so incapacitated that I could only walk with the assistance of my dear daughter who had to occasionally uh, to help me into the studio which was quite embarrassing. Now what your specialist has said about the condition I completely concur with because even though even though I was prescribed strong painkillers analgesics and anti-inflammatories and even though I took some of my own stuff I'm quite convinced that in the end it took its course I rested I gave myself a chance to recuperate naturally and I got well as my GP said I would get well so there is, I tend to concur, indeed do concur, with the medical advice that you've been given. Um, it will take its course, um, give it a chance to do its job, use a painkiller and maybe an anti-inflammatory, although there's, there's a bit of question as to whether they do that much good. But that was my experience. I pass it on to you as one who has, if you like, uh, uh, travelled the same journey. Thanks so much for your call, Shirley. And uh, this is Health Naturally, and we may well be getting to another question in just a moment. We do have a a program next week, of course, as well. Dennis Stewart will be here, the last Last one one for the year. And uh, you can catch this program on podcast. Uh, Hello. Now, can you tell us your name, please? Hello. Yes, hello. It's me, Sylvia. (laughs) Sylvia, you've got a question for Dennis, have you? Yes, I sure have. <laughs> right, would you like to ask him? Um, about a year or two ago, yes. he mentioned a book about living with cancer or healing cancer. I can't, can't quite exactly remember what the name of the book was, but it was by a Canadian author. That's all I remember. Foods, foods that fight cancer. Sorry, F- what's that? Foods that fight cancer by two Canadian writers. Ging- yes, that's the one. Yeah, Gingras and Bellevue. Right, okay. And my other question was, you mentioned something about Japanese green tea yes. leaves. Yes, okay. Um, green tea. Yeah, how they shrink the tumour and things like that and the chemical that does that. You, you need to read that book, which I still consider to be one of the landmark uh, texts written by two gentlemen, both of whom have PhDs who work yep. in, in a, a medical hospital situation in Quebec who've spent their professional life looking at the association between uh, foods and the way in which certain foods may, and I say may, may inhibit uh, the development of cancer, lessen its rapidity. We don't talk about cure, we talk about the way in which they may assist the body in dealing with cancer. And in that book, one of the substances that has been looked at uh, by the two Canadians is uh, green tea. And there is an, oh. there, there is an analysis of the chemistry of green tea, which I'll obviously not go into now, but it's easily read, easily read in that text. And um, in that text, they recommend amongst all the green teas that are available that, the, in their opinion, and I think I'm right in saying this, Japanese green tea is the one that has the best chemistry uh, 
uh, associated with the green tea effect. But get hold of the text, it's readily available. It's an exciting work to read and I've been mm -hmm. able to help many, many people by providing them with the text and I'm sure uh, they've got benefit from it. Okay. So it was foods that fight cancer. And who were the two authors again? Uh, okay, Gingras, G-I-N-G-R-A-S. Yep, got that. Now, this is a French name. I might spell it incorrectly. Jane might have to correct me. Uh, Bellevue, I think it's B-E-L-I-V-E-U. Is that close? It could quite yeah. be right. That, that's close enough for you. You can Google it up uh, and, yeah, sure. and you'll, you'll easily get it in Newcastle. Okay. Thanks very much for your calls, Sylvia. And um, we're just about at the end of our program. It's just been really interesting it to has. look at this, I, I, One of the things I'll look at next week is the, the way in which some of the discoveries uh, that I've made this year um, have, in fact, altered the transit of a serious disease process. Uh, and uh, it's exciting. And I don't want to say too much about it now or even too much next week, but I'll mention a very important herb for the distressed kidney. We'll do that. Health Naturally next Friday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.